is a class given by His Holiness Jaya Patakaswami Maharaj on September 26, 1986 in Toronto, Canada. The class begins with a reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, 5th Canto, Chapter 8, Verse 13. to something very easily to something else. Just as Maharaj Bharat, without thinking, he probably thought that here I am in the forest, I am now ready to renounce, I am free from all danger. He didn't think uh, that his attachment to the deer was anything dangerous. Like this sometimes, there may be someone who lives in the ashram, and they, they may also think that because I am living in the ashram, therefore I am free from all the dangers. But actually, we can also become attached, whether in ashram or in house, to, to material things. Even in ashram, there's a story that uh, Abhmatatra Prabhu was telling us yesterday how uh, Ramanujacharya, he was uh, praising one of his Grihastha devotees that they are very much Krishna conscious. There's a, if you want, he can tell you the longer story, I'll just tell the, the essence of it. That there was this, uh, there was this deity in South India, and there, oh, actually what happened, there was a deity in South India, and there had been a very attached person. He was actually the martial arts guru of the king, but he was only into physical education, muscle building, martial arts. He was very uh, materially attached, but he had been converted or he had been uh, delivered by uh, our great Acharya Ramanuja Acharya. So, but somebody, they couldn't imagine how that Grihastha was, uh, was more renounced or more Krishna conscious than so many sadhus and sannyasis who were there living with Ramanujacharya. So Ramanujacharya, he sent one of the two brahmacharis. If you go up into the brahmacharya, the sannyasis' quarter, there were so many sannyasis with him. So you go there and you tear up all of their kopins. For sannyasi, they only have two pieces of cloth. They have their external three pieces. They have this. This outward cloth is called bahirbash, or outward cloth. Then the kopen they're supposed to wear is one, just two pieces of cloth that they wear, which is tied by a kind of a jockey strap around, I think everyone knows what a Brahmin underwear kopen is. Kopen is called Brahmin underwear in English. But that's the main dress when a sannyas takes sannyas, that's installed as an anantasation of Aruni, as a, as a, as a special like, a, deity that's installed their coping, that's installed coping, whatever. So anyway, that's supposed to be one of their prime dresses. And then the external dress is uh, 
Like if you go to the Ganges bathing or something in India, if you go to Prayag, Allahabad, when there's a Kumbh Mela, you'll see so many sannyasis going and taking bath, only wearing their kopan. They won't wear the outside cloth. You see. And then the other cloth they wear is called this, called Utariya. This cloth is a design, so in case they have to go begging, they just hold it like this. So you can give donations. So that is supposed to be the renounced order. They just have this much cloth, they don't have so much else. Because of international, we also added shirt, but there are many sannyasis, they don't wear even shirt. In South India, they, to this day, you don't wear shirt generally when the sannyasi goes to preach. So the Brahmachari disciples, Ramanujachari, they went and ripped up all of the sannyasis' kopins in the night time. So when they woke up, they saw all our kopins have been ripped up. And so the class, he gave his morning class, but no sannyasis came to the class. But the Vihasta couple was there during the class. So then he asked the sannyasis, why are you are, why you didn't come to the class? They said, well, we had a huge argument over there. Who tore up the kopins? Who took the kopins? Who took our underwear? And so this was going on, oh, you all missed the class. He said, your sannyasis, all you have in the whole world is one outside cloth, one kopin, one, one bib, you know, one utariya. For that, for this year have your kopin, why, why you're wasting so much uh, energy over that? You've given up everything and you're attached to your kopin. You're arguing and fighting over that. So what is the problem? You're still materially attached, even if it's over one little piece of cloth. So then next day, he told the two brahmacharis, you go and you sneak into the house of the this grihasta and you steal all of the wife's golden ornaments and you bring them here. So the brahmacharis figured well, how to get in the house. So they went into the roof. The wife was laying there sleeping and she was just there sleeping. But she said, this, the two people are breaking into the, into the house. And she said, oh, these are the brahmacharis of my uh, Guru Maharaj. So what, why they're coming like thief? Maybe the Guru Maharaj has ordered them to steal something. So if he's ordered to steal, then I should let them steal. So they came and then they saw that she's still wearing all the gold ornaments. So they were, well, how to do this? Somehow they very carefully, they took off the gold ornaments without waking her up on half of her body. The other half she's laying on. He said, the Guru sent them to steal. They only took half, so I'll just continue playing. I'm asleep and roll over the other side. They can take the other half. And she rolled over the other side. They got all scared. And she's waking up. They all ran off. So they couldn't take it. She was lamenting that the Guru must have sent them. Of course, it's unlikely nowadays the Guru will send anyone to steal. If you see any Brahmachari breaking in, then you can just check, call the temple first. But uh, this is her idea that the Guru is uh, sent them to take, uh, to take the ornament. I rolled over and they only could take half. So now I committed a great offense. For some reason, they might want him to take all the ornaments. So then the husband and wife, she told the husband they felt so bad, they wanted to commit suicide. So then they went to Ramanuja and said that someone came and only took half the ornaments, other half they left. So we want to take commit suicide, we haven't given, but you know, I said if I tell, no, that was the thing, if I tell that they came, they'll know I was not stealing. If I give it even, like he didn't fulfill it. They came to steal, if I give it, then it's not the same thing. So they're feeling very bad. So then Ramanuja Chari had someone uh, verify what was happening, and he heard that they're feeling very bad. 
they want to uh, even commit suicide because uh, they think that they, they didn't fulfill the order of their guru. Somehow the guru's desire was not fulfilled. So he brought them and then he showed everyone, look at these are different, the sannyasis are fighting because their underwear got, uh, got misplaced. These people are missing hundreds of thousands of uh, rupees with the gold ornaments and they are lamenting that only half was taken if it was desire of the guru. So who's attached, who's detached? So here Prabhupada said that if we remember everything is for Krishna, then there's no chance of our being victimized by material activities. But if somebody, they think, I'm very renounced, but they even get attached to their underwear or they get attached to their beer. Someone gives up the whole world and then someone takes their sock and they get all angry when they get ready to beat someone. This is the illusion of maya. If we give everything up, what do we care if somebody takes our cloth? If some of this or that happens, we should be actually detached. Otherwise, there's no use in imitating the so-called renounced orders. Better to be this agrihasta that sees everything for Krishna. They offer their food to Krishna. They use whatever they have to uh, make a Krishna conscious environment in their house. And they use what they can for Krishna's service. If they see everything for Krishna, then there's no illusion. This is a basic purport. Of course, our Vedic social structure is such, we always respect those who overtly have more uh, renunciation. But we have to we have to always refine our renunciation, not just be satisfied with some superficial. Even a person may be a sannyasi, but he may be demanding for himself, and he may think that I deserve to get great respect, I, get, I deserve to become uh, honored by people before my renunciation. If they don't respect me, then they feel offended. But actually, sannyasi should be equal. If he is offered respect or not offered respect, if a brahmachari is respected or not respected for being brahmachari, it won't affect his determination in devotional service. He's one, whether it's fame or infamy, whether it's in the honor or dishonor. His duty is the same. So many times, uh, persons engaging in devotional service, they become upset over insignificant things. What this one said, this one didn't give me prasad first, or this one didn't do this, or that I was neglected at this time, or whatever. Different insignificant things happen, and these are allowed to take predominance in our mind. Actually, we just take everything as a, the mercy of Krishna, and within whatever situation we are, we try to do the most Krishna conscious thing. So in a sense, Prabhupada is saying that he left everything, but if he became attached to an insignificant path, what was the use of renouncing his family? For our instruction. Of course, Bharat Maharaj, he got a bigger instruction. Because the next birth, and he had to take birth as a deer. Due to his overt attachment, to his excessive attachment. So life is <laughs> very complicated. And the person, he can cultivate Krishna consciousness in any situation. Whether Grihe Thako, Bone Thako, Sadahari Bole Thako. Whether he's in the Grihasta Ashram, or whether in the uh, ashri, the more renounced orders, the Banapras to Brahmachari or Sanyas Ashram. The point is that one should actually cultivate doing everything for Krishna. That is the actual test. Someone may be the most renounced, but in their mind, if they're still having attachment to uh, being respected or to getting followers or to other things for a material purpose, just like La Puja Pratishtali, if they want to be important or if they want some kind of profit from what they're doing, then they're also contaminated. Or if somebody, they feel detached, even in their family situation, they feel attached, detached, that uh, 
there's so many difficulties in uh, the samsara life, but uh, I'm trying to do everything so ultimately Krishna will be pleased. So the children can be God conscious, so that uh, I can ultimately go back to Krishna. So that person is uh, Krishna conscious, even though externally it appears that the person is very attached. He's doing everything for Krishna. So this doing things for Krishna, this consciousness, however, has to be cultivated. Normally someone in the Grihast Ashram doesn't do everything for Krishna. They do everything simply out of material attachment. They think, aham nirvami, this is I and mine. I am this body and this body is connected with these things and therefore I have to work hard. And that's the absolute truth. There's nothing more than that. This is the parodharm. But actually the proper consciousness is to understand everything is only coming from Krishna. Externally these things are connected with my body, so therefore I got some external responsibility. But ultimately my responsibility is to Krishna, that is the responsibility of the soul. So I use all these uh, material environments to please Krishna. And this way I can go back to Krishna, I can be fully Krishna conscious. Even within this uh, external complicated situation, if I learn to do everything for the pleasure of Krishna, then I'll be delivered. And relatively speaking, the brahmachari life is much more uh, free. There's not so much uh, headache. You don't have to deal with the income tax and with the rent payments and with wife and children and sickness. Uh, it's only your personal problem is there, whatever your clothing, your body, and then Generally, there's not so much disease if one is rising early in the morning and taking bath and attending the Mangalayati and chanting. There are not so many difficulties. Life becomes more complicated in the Gihastashram. But then, if one's a Brahmachai, they should take advantage of having this relatively free life to give more energy to Krishna consciousness. If they have a relatively free life, but they listen to uh, rock and roll music that's not Krishna conscious, not a lot in the Krishna kids, but something else, or if they get uh, distracted by other kinds of uh, distractions and they allow various weeds to continue to grow in their heart, then what is the advantage? You see, they're not gaining a full advantage. They're like that uh, proverbial uh, wedding party was going, trying to cross the river in a boat, but the anchor was never pulled up. They rode the whole night. In the morning they saw that the boat was on the same side. So we have to pull up the anchors and Someone who's uh, training as a brahmachari, they may in the future also become a grihasta, that is the banasham dharma, or they may remain as a, in the renounced orders. That's up to the decision of guru and their own ability. But a person, they have to cultivate, whether grihe or whether in the bona, whether in the ashram or whether in the grihe ashram. Everyone has to cultivate this consciousness not to do anything, nothing, if it's not for Krishna. Even the most subtle thing, if it's actually not for the pleasure of Guru and Krishna, if it's for our own personal pleasure, is maya. Therefore we have to eradicate that. The maya in any form, and you see, for those in the renounce, so once they get rid of the gross attachments, then the subtle things start to attack. And we have to refine and refine our devotional service till we get to the, to the purest state. So the practice is the same, it just becomes more difficult to differentiate the more subtle that the mayas become. Sometimes you can hard to tell what's a maya and what's not. Because uh, renunciation is very similar to devotional service. But even to renounce something which is favorable to devotion is also material. Say that somebody uh, sometimes 
There are people in India, something big gurus, so-called gurus. Someone wants to give money, they say, no, I won't touch money. To give to my secretary, I won't touch. So, the Prabhupada said, I'll take money, you can give me, I'll take with two hands. What's that? Because I'll use it for Krishna, I won't use it for myself. For myself, I don't need any money, but for serving Krishna, we want to print books, we want to build temples, we want to do big festivals. We have so many uses for money, we can use it. But for myself, I don't have any, I have enough cloth that we don't need. But for Krishna, we have so many uses. So someone is showing that, no, I, I won't touch. So in this way, they're trying to put forward some kind of impression that they're very renounced. But all these are all the form of subtle attachment to get name and fame as being a great renunciate without practically educating people that money is something which is only bad when we only use it for material purposes. If we use money also for promoting Krishna consciousness, money is not bad. If you use it for material things, uh, then it's neutral. If you use it for sinful things, then it's very bad. So all these things help to educate us that devotional service is a great science. And here we see that how Bharat Maharaj, he gave his love to the deer. I mean, we all have a natural propensity to love. We want to give our affection, we want to give our love. Now who do we give that to? So naturally, we give it to our family members, naturally we give it to the, the people we're associating with. But sometimes there's a test, just like the Parsaram. He was tested by, by Krishna, by the Supreme Lord. He was tested by his father. He had to do the, the supreme test. Where was his attachment? So, of course, he passed the test. So similarly, we're also tested at different times, and it's up to us to, to take these tests in stride. Sometimes someone says something to us, a new person comes in there, they have to learn so many things, it's a new environment, someone chastises them. Why are you eating with your left hand? Why are you doing this? And they get a little ego comes. Why are they always getting on my case? Why are they always telling me these things? These are all false ego that we have to give up. You see, even if someone may be very gentle in how they're explaining Prabhu, I like you very much, do this thing. If someone might be a bit uh, inexperienced and, and just say it in a very harsh way, we just take it, all right, this is the mercy of Krishna. This is just to teach me some humility. So, <clears throat> also sometimes someone taken some initiation or they become a devotee even though they're living outside. But before, generally when someone's like a life member or they're like a, a devotee from outside, they're given very formal respect. But it's more like a social etiquette. But then they're devotee, they're expected that you should do some little service when you come to the temple because it's as much your temple, your family, as uh, someone living inside the temple. So then when they're not given that same amount of formal respect that, say, a life member, a donor is given, they're treated more familiar, more familiarity as a devotee, then sometimes they feel that uh, this is not proper. So for Srila Prabhupada and Kanye, you have to be one or the other, either your life member or your devotee. You see, not that you're both. If you're a life member, that's one thing you want to give formal respect. But if you're a devotee, then so everyone devotee is the same. You don't consider like that, all devotees have the same right to go back to Godhead if they remain fixed in their Krishna consciousness. So it's not wrong. Sometimes, one time, of course, devotees, they get uh, bewildered. One time, Prabhupada was uh, describing all these things and about the danger of attachments or things like that. So then he asked one parent, that, well, how do you feel about your daughter? And he said, well, 
I don't know. I, I don't, you know, decide to say, well, I'm trying to be detached. Prophet said, no, this is not the way. You love your daughter. You love your child. Don't artificially be trying to be detached. It's natural to love your child. If you love your child, but then you love Krishna more, then let me, you really love your child. Let me try to make this child a full person, that the person is materially qualified as well as becomes also a lover of Krishna. In the childhood, it's easy to cultivate this uh, God consciousness in the minds of children. They are more uh, simple, they are more open, so the natural spiritual quality can be brought out by giving them Krishna prasadam, by chanting. So you love your child, it's all right. Now because you love your child, give the child the best. Try to free the child from the repetition of birth and death, to give your child the God consciousness, in addition to the material things that you have to provide. That is the proper dog healing. Not that someone has child is, I want to be detached. So what, then the child will be untended and uncared. That is not the pleasing to Krishna. So devotional service is something very practical, very utilitarian. Someone loves their wife or their husband, so they try to help that spouse to be God conscious. You see, at the same time as maintaining their own consciousness. This is the, uh, the Krishna conscious way. It's called mercy. We try to help others. That's the mercy, compassion. The Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was a special, showed this Jukta uh, Bhairagya and his different devotees. Some of them were very renounced. Like Sukhumbar Brahmachari was only wearing this one cloth, begging every day from house to house. Others were even very wealthy, like Pundarik Vidyanidhi, who was a very wealthy Jamindar who had so much landed property, but he was always engaged in his home and uh, Krishna's uh, service. And uh, even we found that uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, when he was magistrate, he had to preside over so many. When you're a magistrate in the government, you have to go to so many social functions. So he'd do all his social duties also, but his primary drive was towards spreading the Krishna conscious movement. And he used his position in such a way that this God-consciousness was promoted in society. So although he was a government officer, although he was a grihasta, he was he's considered as our acharya in the disciplic succession. And he's one of the greatest acharyas. So, grihe thako, bone thako, sada hore bole dako. We should see beyond the externals. In whatever situation when we should try to use that particular situation to be Krishna conscious. If somebody finds maya in us, we should be rather open and objective to analyze that and to do the needful to eradicate it. And this way we can progress step by step back to home, back to Godhead. The main thing is we need to chant Hare Krishna, you see, within our daily activities, while we're driving or while we're working or while in the morning when we get up. We can spend little time, you see, we can chant Hare Krishna in this way, this helps to bring our consciousness into the proper attitude of service to Krishna. So that's why we chant every day, we try to chant 16 rounds to guarantee that uh, to a good extent, if we try, we can remain Krishna conscious. But even for people living outside, they can gradually cultivate the practice and chant more and more Hare Krishna, keeping a regular minimum. Just as we do in our Namhata, we have some people who chant minimum four rounds a day, some eight, and gradually they come up to 16. So in this way they can gradually develop their consciousness and their attitude with the help of the Holy Name. It's not easy to just suddenly change one's attitude, but by the power of Krishna's name, 
one can purify the consciousness. For those who are staying here in the temple, they're very fortunate. They have this total environment in which they can practice their Krishna consciousness. We have the temple here so that people coming from outside, they can, we should uh, preserve such a pure atmosphere here that someone will come. They're like, oh, this is temple, this is very holy, this is very pure. Let me try to make a replica of this in my house by having temple, by having chanting, by having Krishna conscious environment as much as possible. Let me take a little uh, vibration from the temple and let it remain in the house. So, after, any questions? Yes. How did I become? How did I become? Well, material desires are always uh, there. They're coming in your mind. I don't uh, allow any time to uh, address those. I keep busy. Who can say that uh, there are no desire comes? Desire may come in the mind. Till we uh, go back to Krishna and we have material body, the desire may come. But uh, that desire, we either see, uh, dovetail it in Krishna's service or we reject it. Even Prabhupada one time someone said, I have no lust to the Prabhupada, I have no material desire. The Prabhupada said, really, what's wrong with you? <laughs> so I have material lust, but I have no time to address that. I have no time for that. I'm too busy in Krishna's service. You see, the point is that somebody, nobody can say that uh, in the material world, even if they were desireless, they shouldn't uh, say that, because that would, that would give even if someone was a Nitya Siddha and they had no desire, which is very unlikely to find such souls in this world, but even if that were the case, they should supposed to take their role as a conditioned soul to teach by example others. So even if one has some desire comes in the mind, that desire is either dovetailed, seen if that can be used for any Krishna conscious purpose, if it's totally material, then it's rejected with uh, appropriate uh, disgust according to the, the nature of that particular thought. We stay so occupied in Krishna's service that there's no chance for Maya to come in. There's a secret. Bhakta Tony pointed that in the Bhagavad Gita it says we should avoid fear, anger, and illusion as obstacles in devotional service. When someone, we hear about a spiritual world, it's all persons, we become fearful that in this world I'm having so much trouble interrelating with people. If I go to the spiritual world, I have the same problem, so I better just merge. Or I should give this up or try something else. That's fear. Or anger because we, someone tries different spiritual processes and then finds that uh, maybe uh, some guru is not uh, true or somebody has some defect or there's something wrong. And so they, they get angry that nothing is real, nothing is true. I give it all up. I'm angry. I'm just going to stay here in illusion. So this illusion and anger and fear, this has to be given up. This is the recommendation of the Bhagavad Gita. You may have difficulty relating with people here in the material world, but in the spiritual world it's known as Vaikuntha. Automatically, anyone who goes to Vaikuntha is in harmony with everyone else. That's the nature. So if we're in spiritual life, we have to have a spiritual master. And we have to surrender to him. And the spiritual master guides one. One has to be receptive to the advice of the spiritual master and he guides one how to avoid this type of personal conflicts. may give someone who's a very, his mentality may be very angry or very antagonistic. So the guru may give him such a service. 
He may be the night guard in the temple, so he never meets anyone. He just meets at the Mangalarti and sleeps in the Dangas and whatever. Who gives him until a person gets enough of the edge off of him that he can... That can be adjusted by the Guru, but one has to take a Guru and has to take guidance to solve all these problems. How can a diseased man say, I'm diseased, now let me decide, I'll go into Brahma Jodi, I'll do this, I'll do that. We start making all these type of decisions, and in the end you don't go into Brahma Jodi, you just stay in the material world, or you, or you do... You'll, you'll be in a worse situation. The point is that, uh, first of all, Brahma Jodi for a devotee, when we hear that, we think the material world is better almost. It's like a kind of spiritual suicide. Because in the material world, there's a chance to go back to the spiritual sky. But from Brahma Jodi, it's like a dead end. From there, you can't get out, you can't go anywhere, except eventually you might fall back in the material world after uh, an indefinite period of unlimited time. So, the thing is that Anyone in this situation, they should actually surrender to a bona fide spiritual master and allow the spiritual doctor, the guru, to guide one in how to get over the difficulties. Otherwise, if they try to speculate, I'll do this, I'll do that, they're going to end up in some just bad situation. If we go to a doctor that I have disease, I have problem, I can't get along with people, I can't, I don't have a problem, I'm not happy when I do my devotional service, or I don't have an attachment for Krishna consciousness, or these problems disturb my mind, or whatever it may be, we go to the guru, or representative guru, and we try to get these things uh, purified by their advice. Just like if we have a physical disease, we go to the doctor and say, that I have a bellyache, what should I do? He gives us some pill, take this, and it's cured. But that, coming back to the material world, may be after trillions of creations, or maybe after, you know, ten minutes. And there's no guarantee, no, you can't say that when that's going to happen. Once you're there, you're out beyond time. And so the period that you're there is, is indefinitely immense, you know. It's just, it's beyond time, so to a certain extent it's beyond the, <clears throat> the influence of time. So there's no person, you know, that they, they can come back. When they'll come back, if they'll come back, no one can say exactly what's going to happen. Yes, for them they can study the they can study first the first parts of the Bhagavatam, which deal with the Visharupa, understand the immense impersonal aspects of God, and then gradually go into the personal form. The point is that the material world is is not permanent; it's asat, and the spiritual world is sat or eternal. This material world is a reflection of the eternal spiritual world. It's a reflection. It's actually, but the reflection is not permanent. So therefore, from one point of view, it's not real. It's not actually false, it's just temporary. But temporary reality means it's relative, it's not absolute. So the person realizes that the form of God or the form of Krishna is not temporary. It's made of satchirananda, it's not uh, of the same nature at all. If one can eventually understand that, then they'll have no difficulty. But because someone who's too attached to the material world, even in a negative sense, that is an obstacle for their advancement. A person should not be over-attached or repulsed, but a person should see something as it is. You can also study the Sankhya, what is the analytical study of the material world and the teachings of Lord Kapila. And then you can get an, you can understand what is the material world and what is the spiritual world. They say that there's no well, the form is false, but then they say what is the supreme truth? They say there's no supreme truth. The Buddhists, the impersonalists, say the supreme truth is nirakar, or it has no form. But if the absolute truth is no form, then where has all this form come from? 
If something that is the ultimate truth is simply a void or simply rather an impersonal reality, then from impersonal how does suddenly the personality and quality come manifest? How does something come from nothing? Well, because the Supreme Truth is everything that the relative truth has, but in a perfect and complete manner, in a more complete manner, completely complete manner, therefore the Supreme Truth is actually uh, also has form, but that form is of a different nature, doesn't have the shortcomings that material form has. Sometimes to understand that first they have to go and understand the Visharupa, understand that what is Brahma Jyoti, what is Paramatma, then finally they can realize what is Bhagavan. That Bhagavan is uh, something categorically different. So for someone who's too attached to the impersonal, they may have to go on a very gradual understanding and first understand the, the greatness of God and then gradually come into understanding His personal feature. And someone who's a more open-minded, more intelligent, they can immediately see that this material world is a reflection of the spiritual world. Reflection is two-dimensional, the original object is three. This material world is three-dimensional, the spiritual world is the fourth dimension. In the fourth dimension, these inebriates don't stand. So the same problems we find here with form and shape, there we don't have those difficulties because there form and shape is also not limited to size, it goes beyond that. So I have to get ready for my uh, 725 flight. Thank you all for your patience, opportunity to serve the deity here, speak on the Bhagavatam for my purification. Srila Prabhupada Ki!